welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are uh, on the way to a fantastic show covering soccer around the world. Man, this is going to be a good one. Today is a big day in our little particular corner of the soccer world here in the United States of America. We've got uh, a schedule coming out for Major League Soccer 2016. We've got a logo unveiling out in L.A., although once already bouncing around Twitter, uh, a leaked logo. We'll see if that's the actual one. And you've got an announcement in San Antonio of the USL team that's coming to that city to replace the NASL team that is no more. Also, other things happening. There's always other things happening. It's one of those things. I just realized I didn't turn on one of my lights today. Trevor didn't tell me that. So it's a little dark <laughs> on the video. We'll get that fixed. Uh, the other thing happening today is we're going to talk to Amanda Duffy, the president of Louisville City FC. Big news out of Louisville. They are commissioning a study there. The city is to, uh, to look into the possibility of building a soccer stadium for the city of Louisville. This is all meant to be part of a push to get Louisville into the major leagues. That's right, an MLS expansion candidate, possibly. We'll talk to Amanda Duffy about that uh, effort there in Louisville. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, uh, that is today's guest. Let's go ahead and jump into the news before we get to Miss Duffy. First and foremost, the United States men's national team now has a roster for their January camp. Two friendlies coming in at the end of that camp, of course, Iceland and uh, Canada. Goalkeepers Bill Hamid, Luis Robles will come to the goalkeeper that's missing here in a second. Defenders Kellen Acosta, Matt Beasler, Matt Miazga, Eric Miller, and Tim Parker. Yep, some young guys in there. Also young guys in the midfield. Fatai Alashe, Michael Bradley, Mix Discarude, Ethan Finley, Jermaine Jones, Darlington Nagby, Lee Wynn, Mark Pelosi, Mark, uh, Matt Polster, excuse me, Tony Chani, Will Trapp. Forwards Josie Outdoor, Jerome Kiesevetter, J- Jordan Morris, Kyrie Shelton, and Giassi Zardis. Eleven players on this list are eligible for the United States U23 team that's going to have to go and beat Colombia over two legs come March. The goalkeeper that's missing, why there's only two, I think, and why certainly you're not hearing a name you had heard linked to this camp, Jesse Gonzalez, the uh, the Mexican U20 player, FC Dallas goalkeeper, product of the FC Dallas Academy, had uh, it was believed originally accepted a call-up to the U.S. camp and then changed his mind, had a change of heart, sticking with Mexico and uh, reporting to a Mexican U23 camp. So um, a bit of a downer there if you had hoped that maybe Jesse Gonzalez would flip and become a U.S. international rather than a Mexican international. So, an interesting mix here. Again, a camp that leads up to a couple of friendlies. End of the month, beginning of February. Reports in L'Equipe initially said yesterday that Didier Drogba had retired and was taking that coaching job at Chelsea. Speculation, of course, uh, that Drogba would be leaving the Montreal Impact and MLS in order to take that job at Chelsea at the request of Roman Abramovich and Goose Hiddink. Uh, he, uh, he has denied that he has retired. He has flat out said... Lovely to receive these messages, but I have not yet announced my retirement. I am still in discussion with the Montreal Impact about my future. That's what he tweeted. I I found this interesting. I'm glad he's finally saying something. He probably should have said something when he popped up at Stamford Bridge, immediately following the firing of Jose Mourinho and the beginning of all of these rumors. But I will say it's weird that he's in discussion. Um, It's clear he if he's tweeting this, 
If he hasn't said, I want to play, if he's not, if he's not tweeting, I want to play for the Impact in 2016, then he's basically gone already. It, if not in an actual fact and legally speaking, contractually speaking, then certainly in will. He doesn't want to be in Montreal. He wants to be in London. Uh, I, think that, I think that's pretty clear from that tweet. We'll see what the Montreal Impact can get out of this deal that's going to end up sending Didier Drogba to, off to London. Romelu Lukaku scores the winner in Everton's 2-1 triumph in, uh, over Manchester City in the first leg of the Capital One Cup semifinals. Lukaku scored, has scored 12 goals in his last 12 games, 19 goals on the year. He did limp off with nine minutes left, so that's a bit of a blow for the Toffees. We, we, we're seeing a City team that's sleepwalking through a lot of games. This one caught up with them. They, got a, uh, they, they fell in, uh, to a winner from Lukaku. Now, of course, this is a, an aggregate two-legged uh, situation, so they do have an opportunity to come back. Uh, and overcome that one goal deficit in the Capital One Cup semifinals. I'm not sure how much Manuel Pellegrini cares about the Capital One Cup, but City needs something to get them juiced to get send them on their way, not only for um, for the English campaign but also in Europe. Louisville, as I mentioned, and as we will talk to Amanda Duffy about, has announced a stadium study as the city pushes for a possible MLS expansion bid. The $75,000 study. We'll look into the, quote, physical, operational, and financial characteristics for building a new stadium in Louisville. The study will look at four possible locations. Louisville City of the USL, in their first season, averaged 6,700-plus fans. That was second best in the league to Sacramento Republic. They also uh, averaged 8,500 for their playoffs. Uh, so a very strong debut for professional soccer uh, in the modern age in, in Louisville, Kentucky. We'll see uh, what Amanda Duffy has to say about those numbers and how they relate to a future possible MLS expansion bid for that city. Again, MLS looking to expand to 28. Louisville may not be top of that list, but we've seen some underdogs pop up and make their way into the conversation before. Certainly nobody had Orlando being in a Major League Soccer city by 2015, say 10 years ago. The San Jose Earthquakes announced on Wednesday the signing of winger Simon Dawkins as a designated player. Dawkins returns to the club that he played for in 2011 and 2012 on loan from Tottenham. Dawkins spent most of the last three years with Derby County of the English Championship and uh, most recently sort of a reserve player. Some, qu- some question over this move, although Dawkins certainly knows the league, uh, contributed a lot to a very successful year. For the, for the Earthquakes uh, back in 2011 and 12, a couple of seasons for the Quakes, and, and now returns to the scene uh, where he probably played the best soccer of his career. We'll see exactly what he brings to the Quakes this time around. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to get my light on. We're going to get Amanda Duffy on the line, and uh, let's do this. Let's talk about Louisville, Kentucky as an MLS expansion candidate. Yep, you heard it here. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. There we go, back on Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. 
Uh, getting to do one of my favorite things, and that's talk to, uh, to people around the American soccer scene as we attempt to grow the game in this country. We have the president of Louisville City FC on the line with us now, uh, Amanda Duffy. She's joining us this morning. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm good, Jason. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. This uh, this it seems that you're uh, you're a very busy person right now uh, with this announcement that there's going to be a stadium uh, viability study from the uh, city of Louisville. Just give me a sense here, and we'll get into what this means for Louisville City in a second. But uh, what the, what is this? What exactly is this that the city of Louisville is is doing? Well, they've been working the past several months to uh, evaluate and bring in uh, a company, a consulting company, to do exactly what's been announced, evaluate uh, some site options and look at some feasibility studies on the, on the financing piece of this also uh, to bring a soccer-specific stadium to Louisville. So for us, it's for them to, to be in position to, to bring in a, a quality company such as CSNL, uh, into Louisville to, to jumpstart this project. And, and uh, the evaluation of, of these sites uh, is, is big for Louisville City. Uh, okay, so we're talking about, um, again, I want to make sure that we're clear here. I mean, you're the president of the club, and, and you certainly have a vested interest in pushing um, soccer in the city. This, the idea is that for Louisville City FC, this is a potential to... Uh, promote that club as the the groundwork for a move up in the world in terms of American soccer. It is, and and when our ownership uh, announced the franchise in in June of 2014 that uh, that Louisville City was joining United Soccer League, uh, part of that announcement was also an opportunity for the ownership to to indicate at that point that the ultimate goal here was was to have the franchise at the highest level of the sport in the United States, that being Major League Soccer. So for the past year and a half, that's that's obviously something we've spoken about here locally. Our, our fans, our supporters, city officials understand that's what the objective is. And in this city where there's been a lot of interest over the past uh, number of years uh, to bring a Major League sport to the city, uh, we all feel right now that soccer has the best opportunity to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, to bring this consultant in uh, after a year uh, in the league and, and a very good year at that, successful on a lot of fronts, uh, we feel like we're in a good position right now to uh, make some big steps uh, in the immediate future. Now, uh, obviously, um, you know, soccer's growth makes it a, a very a- attractive sport, regardless of, of the sort of the position of, of Louisville as a city within the, the larger scope of, of, of major league cities in the country. But I think, Amanda, you're as aware as anybody that Louisville's got a little bit of an uphill battle to convince people that it is a major league city because there's no other uh, major league sports team there and because you know uh the the smallest market in MLS right now is is Salt Lake City and and you know that that's a good uh, that's a good sign for a city like Louisville but but clearly when people look and go oh well Louisville's the 43rd largest metropolitan area in the country that doesn't strike people as uh where MLS should be looking certainly we understand that and and we understand that as as each new soccer franchise comes in uh there's there's an expectation and an ambition to, to move that organization to the highest level uh, that it's possible for, for each respective new team. For us, we feel like it's, it's a benefit to us 
to be in a in a city that it's a growing city and and has had a lot of success on many different levels, uh, but has the ambition and motivation uh, with the city officials, Metro Council, the mayor's office, uh, the people that we need to work in in concert with to uh, to move to the major league level. Uh, we feel like it's it's to our benefit that we're not competing with other major league sports in in this market. So. Okay. We understand, though, that there's that, that there are a lot of organizations right now that have their eye on Major League Soccer. It was definitely exciting a few weeks ago when, when MLS announced that they were going to uh, expand to 28 teams in the next few years, uh, and, and we're, we're in position after our first year and the success we've had from an attendance standpoint on the field uh, with, with the results we had into the playoffs and, and bringing the quality players that we, we had in here uh, in Louisville. Um, so we feel like we've got some, some pieces in place. We've put a good foundation after one season, but understand that um, it's an uphill battle for any organization, and we need to make sure we do this do the things we can, control the things we can, right. uh, and put the best product on the field and in the community. Well, uh, clearly, clearly in a, in a place like Louisville, uh, having a, an organization like yours with the attendance success, and we'll come, you know, I mentioned those numbers at the top of the show, actually, and, and we can certainly touch on them. Um, that's probably more important to the candidacy of the city than, say, the, the lower division team in Atlanta. We know Atlanta's a little bit of a different market when it comes to MLS, uh, uh, MLS and their ambitions. So mm-hmm. you see yourself, uh, meaning Louisville City FC, sees itself as an integral part of proving the efficacy of, of Louisville as a soccer town. We do. We're, it's important, and, and we know, we recognize that from an attendance standpoint, we were second behind Sacramento uh, from a season ticket number, from our uh, game average number. Uh, we were behind Sacramento uh, with, the, with the attendance that we had in our first season, which I think exceeded a lot of expectations here locally and on the national level as well. So, uh, But we know that, that where we are, where we were in year one, we have to build off of that. Uh, we have, we know there are boxes that we have to check to be a part of the conversation for Major League Soccer. Uh, and, and part of that is an attendance standpoint. Our corporate partnerships, uh, need to, to improve our, our engagement and, um, and, and relationships with the corporate community here in Louisville and the general engagement with the fans and, um, and, and other organizations that can help us move forward as a community uh, into Major League Soccer, uh, not just as a soccer organization. Yeah, you know, again, the, the, the numbers are impressive. You guys averaged sixty seven hundred in the in the regular season, eighty uh, eighty five hundred uh, in the in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, there was some enthusiasm for Louisville City FC, and I guess the question for a lot of people, man, is going to be certainly one of mine is. How do we know and how do you prove that that's not just, um, you know, the, the new factor in town? Well, I think we're going to prove that in year two and in year three when, when we look to, to build those numbers. One of the thresholds we look to, to surpass in year one was getting to, having a game with uh, more than 10,000 fans uh, in attendance. And we came close to that when uh, we hosted Orlando City in August this year uh, on a Tuesday night, had uh, a little more than 9,000 fans in the stadium. So that was a, a, a good uh, success for us. However, we didn't reach the threshold we wanted to reach in year one. That's something we want to be uh, not just past that, but at least from a, from a game average, be 
um, at that number, a 10,000 number of fans in the stadium every game and show that there's, uh, there's a progression from our attendance standpoint. And we saw it. You know, we can look at the average that we, the average attendance we had in year one. Uh, but if you look at the course of the season and, and the progression our, of our attendance numbers, uh, starting with our opener through through the playoff game and how our average attendance continued to rise through the course of the season is um, is obviously more more fans were aware of us. It was a positive experience, the game experience. Um, our fans always walked away really enjoying uh, what they what they saw on the field and what they experienced in the stadium. So we feel like we've got um, a, a good a good environment right now, a good platform and foundation to to build off of to um, it, to increase the engagement inside the stadium and make it uh, an even better, bigger and better experience on game day uh, when they come. But it is going to be something that we 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 have to show that in year two and year three that while our numbers were good in year one. Um, that there is growth and that we're continuing to um, turn this into a soccer soccer community. I'm very fascinated by the, in the process of, of selling soccer uh, in Louisville or anywhere in this in this country that for that matter from from your perspective. But before we we get there, I I have to ask. I mean, I I I, I sort of talked about this yesterday, Amanda. There's there seems to be this trend that if a, a soccer team gets started in any reasonably sized town in this country. The, uh, the the ownership and the management immediately have to talk about uh, MLS and, and reaching the highest level. Or, or if it's an MLS team, they talk about being one of the best clubs in the world. The ambitions are always very large. And and, and I wonder if that's a, a function of just how um, how people in, in, in the game and in sports and in business think. Or if it's a matter of that, that being an important message to send to fans in order to continue to get that sort of enthusiasm that you need to sell tickets. It is for us uh, an important piece to talk about the the direction we want to go, the ambition to be a major league soccer uh, team and city. Uh, so, so as we talk about it, and 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 I understand what what you mean, having worked at USL prior to coming to Louisville City and and seeing the transition and and progression of the sport um, in the lower division levels as well as the major league uh, soccer level over the last six or seven years, and and the growth that it's seen. Uh, when we talk about you know, just general fan support, but also um, with with TV viewerships and and other marketing uh, opportunities that the the sport has seen and and seen growth in. So, uh, but for us, again, as a city that's in a community that's that's talked about having a major league sport in in Louisville for for many years and and understanding um, that this is uh, right now the best opportunity for us to. To bring a major league sport to Louisville, uh, we certainly want to want to maximize and capitalize on the opportunity that that we have, which makes the announcement yesterday's announcement even more important to show that it, it's not just a uh, a line item in a in a conversation or a piece that our owners are talking about, but we aren't doing the work behind it to um, to do everything we need to check all of those boxes that are going to be required to bring a major league sport to, to Louisville. We have the support of the mayor's office, the Metro Council members, city officials, city of Louisville. Um, we have the support of, of a lot of people here in the community that is necessary for us to uh, to move to the next level. Uh, that that phenomenon sort of uh, fascinates me as well because we obviously live in a, a, in, a, in a in an environment these days where 
selling the idea of of a stadium to uh, to, to a locality is sometimes very difficult, especially when it comes to city councils and budgets and and tax hikes and and all of these things that usually come with this territory. Um, not knowing the details of what this study is going to go into, I'm just curious. I mean. How do you sell the, the, the people of Louisville on the notion that this is a good idea, if there is at all any sort of public funding involved? Well, that's where we have to do our part um, from a front office standpoint in putting a quality product on the field, putting a quality product in the community, and, and helping our fans and, and the city understand that we're this is about the community. It's about the growth and development of the community, and, and what we're doing is in is in concert with um, the city officials' um, direction from a bigger picture uh, on the growth and development of the city of Louisville, and and that's where we really want to focus in year two is is showing that and 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 being more accessible as a team and an organ organization and more impactful as a organization in this community, um, so that 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 the fans can connect to it and under- understand the benefits of of professional soccer being in Louisville. In terms of, of of the USL experience to this point, I mean, again, obviously the ambition is to 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 go to to go for MLS and and to turn Louisville into a major league soccer city and take Louisville City FC all the way up. But um, so far, and again, only one year in, with another year coming uh, very very soon. What has that been like? Because obviously this is a league that's gone through some serious transition the last couple of years. Obviously the MLS partnership, uh, all of those teams being added, the the, the explosion sort of the, in terms of the number of teams and then therefore the number of partners you have in, in, in the process. And I imagine, like you said, you know, your experience is, is significant, but there are people in Louisville who have to learn how to run a soccer club. How's that gone? It's going well. There is, it's, it's learning how to run a soccer club. It's also educating the fans on, on the support that, that you have at a soccer game and, and what you need in the community um, from, from the fans. So it's uh, in the, the transition and progression that USL has made is uh, certainly speak volumes to the ownership and leadership and everyone at USL for, for getting USL to the point that it is today. Uh, where we can talk about stability in the league and we talk about the quality of the ownership in the league. And it, that wasn't always the case. So to be uh, competing in a league right now and, and to have had the success in our first year in a league that is bringing in quality ownership, quality organizations, quality leadership and managers and executives across the league, and for us to be um, at, at the front of that right now is, is a, is a good place to be, and it, it certainly keeps us motivated to uh, make sure we're operating at, at the highest level we, we can, a professional level that um, exceeds our own expectations, the community's expectations, and uh, we're, we're putting the best product uh, on the field and, and in the communities talked about um, here in Louisville. That leads me into a question about the general landscape of, of, of lower division soccer in the United States. Obviously, MLS, uh, by virtue of its its age and the, and the corporate partnerships and the TV deals, is, is the top league. We all know that. But then there's the NASL, which is trying to, to forge their own path, a very different path than MLS. USL, which is, again, a different path, but also in partnership with MLS. Why, why and I don't know if you're, gonna, if you're in a place to speak for anybody, but why is Louisville a USL city and not an NESL city? Well, for us, the, the I guess, his, history of Louisville City, uh, one of our owners, Wayne Estopinol, is also a minority owner with Orlando City and, and has been since Orlando was in Austin uh, prior to the relocation of that franchise. Uh, so when Orlando was awarded 
the Major League Soccer rights, uh, the, the decision was made to move the USL franchise to, to Louisville. So I, I think from, you know, obviously that relationship and situation um, is one aspect to it, but also with USL, the growth that it has proven and shown over the last three to three to four years uh, and the growth that it's experienced. And again, talking about the quality of the ownerships, you see um, you, there's a dependability uh, factor to it where you know uh, what you're going to see from a year in and year out standpoint. Uh, and, and going back six or seven years, that wasn't necessarily the case. So it, it, it's, it provides a lot uh, of security and assurance to, to new owners coming in. Uh, the the uh, again, I imagine the infrastructure, the the support is is a major factor in this. And 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 one thing that I can consistently harp on, Amanda, is that that clubs need to once they need once they're established, they need to continue to exist in one form or another. I mean, obviously, in the case of of Orlando, they went from being a USL franchise to being an MLS franchise, and but the name stayed the same, and and they obviously carried over that fan base. Um, that's that's crucial to the growth of the sport to have fans be able to. Uh, latch on to a team for longer than a couple a couple of years. Can you just speak to the to the issue that American soccer has in in sort of burning fans in, in some of these uh, some of these cities where maybe ownership is overreached or maybe there's a question of exactly how best to run clubs within financial restraint. Well, I, I think it's been it's I think with the success of Major League Soccer and learning here in the United States how to how to operate and run uh, a soccer organization as a as a business understanding um, you know those revenues and and having more revenue opportunities uh, as an organization is, is has helped ownerships that are coming into the sport and and with the growth of it the trajectory of soccer in, in North America has it's skyrocketed over the last five or six years and um, and as more fans come in behind it to support it as as there's more knowledge of the sport from not just an American standpoint, but obviously understanding the, the game from a world perspective, being able to access um, games from a world perspective, and of course seeing players coming into the United States that are recognizable names around the world um, playing here uh, in Major League Soccer. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives that have helped give assurance to whether it's fans or ownerships to be a part of this sport. And uh, and from a league perspective, I know they, they understand the responsibility um, to themselves and to, to existing owners within the league uh, to bring in owners and operators that, that have the ability to operate for three to five years at a minimum, whereas uh, previously uh, it seemed like it was, okay, you need to fill some gaps and, and you need to, to take what you can get because um, there's an interest, but not necessarily the knowledge to operate a professional soccer team at the level and mm-hmm. ability that it needs to for the sport to be successful. Well, and, and that's where I think it's it's changed. Yeah, so, so, so that is that a matter of that's a matter of knowledge sharing then. I'm sorry. Say that again. That's a matter of of sharing. The I mean, it's I don't know what the the I don't know what the landscape was previous to the current situation with USL or or NASL for that matter. But it seems to me that that maybe there was a disconnect between uh, between ownership groups and and again the people who knew how to run a club versus people who didn't. And 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 maybe uh, sharing best practices is something that that's getting better. 
It is absolutely of of on at the ownership level, and then of course in the team operators um, level, understanding um, the best practices from the successful uh, organizations that are you know currently successful or previously have been successful uh, in certain aspects, but uh, it, it is a lot more open, uh, a lot more dialogue. I can speak from a, from a USL perspective, a lot more dialogue uh, amongst the teams and, and best practice sharing, which is, which is helpful to the, the teams, but also helpful to the sport to find our path, allow everyone to find a path that's going to work um, that's unique to the marketplace, but also um, beneficial to the sport. All right, this is going to lead me to uh, to, to to one of the the biggest, most controversial issues that faces people like me who are covering American soccer day to day, Amanda, and that's the the notion of a of a pyramid that doesn't that is not integrated. There's no movement between the divisions, and, and it, it, as someone who is running a club in USL, it, do you believe that the lack of of a promotion and relegation system in the United States is a hindrance to to further growth, especially at at the level that is the second or third division? I don't think it's a hindrance right now for us. You know, we, we look at the, the direction that USL is going right now. It's talked about its pursuit of moving to the Division II level in the United States. I think if you look at the last five years of, of the sport in North America, the landscape of it uh, and how it's evolved, I, I don't think there's been um, we've lost anything from the excitement and support that individual teams are, are getting and the sport is getting right now. Uh, and I just think that with the path that it's on, the next five years is going to look very different than it is today. So I don't think we're at a, at, in a situation where because we don't have promotion relegation, the sport is missing out or any one team is missing out uh, on any opportunities. Uh, I understand how it's how it how in other leagues it's exciting and and it works, but I think with where we are in the United States right now, um, we, we aren't missing anything by not having promotion relegation well the, 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 the maybe a slightly different way to ask that question is there any sense at all that some sort of of pro promotion relegation system whether it involves mls or, or doesn't could be instituted to any to any good effect i mean it, it's a question of being ready i'm, I'm asking uh I, not necessarily not right now i think when you look at the ownership um levels and and entry into any of the leagues they're they're different uh, requirements um, and different standards, and I think right now the sport still is, in, in general terms, is still in an infant stage. So I, I think it still needs some more time to evolve and develop before uh, you, you make significant changes such as that to to the sport in the United States right now. Uh, and, and to certainly uh, in the same sort of vein, but but more about the business side of, of soccer in this country. I mean, we we got done. We just got done talking about MLS and the, and the explosion and, and what MLS has done right. But you know, the league started with that single entity structure for a for a legitimate reason. I think uh, at some point, though, you have to wonder if that's the training wheels and they need to come off. Is there is single entity attractive to to people who are involved in the game at the the lower levels who are actively pursuing MLS? Is it, is it single entity that's attractive? Is it the top level that's attractive? Does single entity play any role at all in how, say, the Louisville owner, Louisville City FC owners look at moving into MLS in the future? No, for us, it's, it's about bringing the highest level of the sport to Louisville, bringing a major league sport to, to Louisville and the state of Kentucky. For us right now, the, the franchise system that we're, we're working with with USL works for us. And, um, we've, we've, after one season have found success so far and 
feel like we're in a situation uh, where we continue to, to see success. So for, for Louisville City, it's the motivation isn't to be a part of a single entity uh, organization. It's, it's to bring Major League uh, Soccer to, to the city. Um, and, and as we, as we get ready to wrap this up, and I very much appreciate the time, Amanda, um, you know, again, we're, we're, we're talking about, um, growing, growing lower division soccer in the United States, but then every one of, uh, of these cities or a lot of these organizations having the notion of building to MLS at some point in the future, there's going to be a stadium study in the city of Louisville to look into this. Um, I, I had something else in mind and it's completely gone out uh, of my, oh, I'm sorry. This is where I wanted to go with this. Um, in the direct, uh, directly related to the, to the, the health and viability of Louisville uh, City FC, as we just talked about with clubs coming and going. Austin, for example, um, has uh, the Austin Aztecs revived after the, the original team moved to Orlando was in USL last year, has gone on hiatus due to some, some money concerns. I imagine that, you know, I, I don't want to assume that based on your attendance, everything is hunky-dory with Louisville City FC, but I think it's worth asking how the finances of USL, without you giving me any, any proprietary details, are working for Louisville City. Well, we think right now, from USL standpoint, the league is growing, which is a good thing, uh, and talking about the ownership that's coming in. It's uh, the ownership is is quality and and there's there's the assurance that uh, the the owners that come in the new teams that come in are going to be here for for years to come and and not just uh, add in terms of quantity to the league but add to the quality of the league and and as each new group comes in uh, obviously raises the bar and standard for um, you know competition on and off the field whether it's for players or um, just you know competing to be the best. Uh, in USL. Uh, for us, we have uh, more than 40 uh, owners in our ownership group, and a uh, majority of them are locally based. So we have a very committed group here in Louisville um, that uh, great um, ambassadors for the city uh, that really want to see uh, this happen for the Louisville community. So for us, we feel good. I feel good about uh, the people um, around us that are supporting this staff and, and this team, the players, um, to, to build uh, this club and feel good about doing it in a league that's also showing growth and stability um, as it moves forward. Amanda Duffy, president of Louisville City FC. Their uh, big news in Louisville is the city has commissioned a stadium study. Louisville City moving into their second season in USL off, uh, off of a banner year. Uh, to start their existence. Amanda, um, congratulations on the news. Um, obviously, we hope that that study comes out with some some good things for Louisville in terms of the potential to build a soccer stadium. And that means good things for you and your club. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Jason. There goes uh, Louisville, uh, Louisville City FC President Amanda Duffy. Good stuff, man. Lots of insight into the lower division life as that city and that club pushes towards MLS. Let's take a break. We'll open up the phone lines and talk to you on a Thursday. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. We're back on Soccer Morning. 
It's Thursday. I'm ready to go. Take your phone calls on whatever is on your mind. And like, like I said, it's a big day in American soccer circles. Uh, not only do we have Louisville City FC uh, all excited about the stadium viability study uh, by the city of Louisville that could possibly get them going towards MLS candidacy expansion candidacy but we also have uh, the schedule coming out for 2016 for mls no expansion franchises in 2016 that's kind of when's the last time that happened did it have did we have a do we have a 2014 expansion team I, I don't recall maybe we didn't maybe that was a year we we skipped it but clearly you had two teams in 2015 we go to zero teams in 2016 and then we're going to rush again bunch of bunch of te- two teams in 2017 at least right also today, the announcement, the, the, the debut, the unveiling of LAFC, speaking of expansion, sort of, LAFC's new logo, their, their official logo. And, and you know, we, we've spent some time, I don't want to say bashing, but certainly critically discussing LAFC's approach to things. Um, we have, we have. We have many times questioned whether LAFC was getting it right. Um. They're unveiling their logo today. That's not happening until until 1230 Eastern time. And yet there's a leak out there on Twitter uh, with a shirt and it's a badge and it's a shield. And then inside is it's golden black. Uh, and it's uh, it's an L.A. with the uh, with the A has a wit. I like it. <laughs> I actually do like it a lot. If this is the real deal and Grant Wall says he, he's heard it's the real deal. So if this is the real deal and Grant Wall would know, then they did well. Congratulations, LAFC. Well done, sirs and madams. Well done. That uh, that I can get behind. In fact, please send me... Ge- I am not above this. Please send me some gear. Uh, who do I write to? Uh, LAFC, care of Nomar Garcia Parra, uh, uh, Mia Hamm, uh, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, Magic Johnson, um, <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's the who's the uh like the, the really old um movie producer who's involved that guy that's who i need to write to regardless hello hipster marketing types at lafc send me gear look look at look at what i've got going on here look at what i could show off how i could show off your lovely new logo right behind me here on the set of soccer morning on backhill.com worldsoccertalk.com you need to be doing this sending me stuff yeah, I don't care. I'm not. I'm shameless. Ray in Milwaukee, you're on the air. Hey, uh, Jason. Uh, I just like to give out some predictions of, for 2016, real quick. All right, predictions. Uh, 2016. Uh, Ray in Milwaukee, go. Okay, uh, I think that the uh, LA Galaxy are going to win the MLS Cup uh, <laughs> due to I um, some rule change that, oh, in the God. middle of the season that helps them out. I think that uh, Club America is going to win uh, a league title in in Mexico thanks to a large part. Wait, 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 wait. Ray, are they going to win? Are they going to win the 2015-16 Clausura? Are they going to win? Clausura. They're not. You're talking about the Clausura. So come uh, come May or June, they're going to win. May. That's May. Yeah, May. Go ahead. Uh, thanks to a large part uh, to a donation to an arbitral, which is a referee signed <laughs> by Televisa. All right, all right, go ahead. Uh, I think that um, Argentina wins the uh, Copa America. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, I, I think they play Mexico 
uh, Mexico gets into the finals thanks to a <laughs> a, a call Wait, by a, I'm sensing a theme. A, an American referee. I'm se- I'm sensing a theme, Ray. What's going on? <laughs> you know, you know uh, I think France wins the Euros. Okay. Uh, and uh, and uh, side note, I think that the uh, England national team bows out in the quarterfinals on penalties. That's probably about right. That one I can definitely get behind. Yeah. Um, I think Chivas. Uh, I think Chivas gets relegated, but don't spend a day in the Ascenso because uh, uh, the do... owners get together and force uh, Jorge Vergara to sell to Carlos Slim. Yeah, and they'll do some sort of franchise swap. Yeah, they'll, they'll do a franchise swap. They'll buy a they'll buy a team that's coming up, and they'll swap and they'll swap, swap the franchise uh, uh, identities, and then the team will move to the quote unquote move to Guadalajara and become Chivas. Which is that's a if that happens that's a joke. I mean that's a that is a joke. Say whatever you want about the way MLS operates and the rules are, are ridiculous. And as you're saying, Ray, maybe LA gets the benefit of some some rule change in the middle of the season or something. I mean, I know you're 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 being slightly tongue in cheek, but people certainly believe that stuff happens. To be to out and out manipulate a situation so that Chivas de Guadalajara, the most famous club in Mexico, doesn't get relegated. I mean, look, River Plate got relegated. They went down. They came back, but they went down. It's not like it's not like the Argent the Argentine FA went. Uh, well, that can't happen. Let's uh, <laughs> let's fix this. Uh, wait, no, he they River Plate went down and they had to fight their way back up, and then they become South American champions. I mean, that's how it works. Right, right, right. What you call it? Uh, I, uh, I, I'm just trying to get rid of Jorge Vergara from North American. <laughs> Wouldn't that be in lovely? Wouldn't that? It, it, and you know what? I think I did this. I think I opened up the floor, maybe on Sirius XM, uh, to like the worst owners in in soccer or something. I don't know what the theme was, but I, somehow I ma- I managed to bypass Jorge Vergara, and I was like, wait, how, how did I forget about Jorge Vergara? I mean. Really, I, I, if you're a, I, I don't know exactly how Chivas fans feel about Vergara, but I can't imagine they like the guy at all. Who's the most hated owner in sports by their own fan base? It might be Jorge Vergara. Well, I, I would, I definitely put him in the top. Um, oh, and uh, I think that there's going to be two new coaches at Manchester. Um, uh, I think Arsenal finishes second in second place because that's Arsenal. Uh, and I think that Man City is going to fire their coach after winning the league because it's the only right thing to do. Okay, <laughs> Ray, I appreciate the phone calls, man. The phone, uh, it's been uh, yep. good, yep. good picks. All right, Ray in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, let's see. We've got um, some people on Twitter. I like the LA badge too. Do the colors look black and gold or black and blue? <laughs> Says Jeff. Obviously, a reference to that uh, to that famous dress. By the way. Uh, and, and my uh, uh, my Twitter friend uh, Prairie Rose Clayton, who you guys might know, Hoover Dam on Twitter, is pointing out that there needs to be some pink involved in this logo, and I, and I and I know what she's referencing. She's talking about Palermo, right? Like there needs to be like you could do this L.A. logo, which is black and gold on the shirt, throw in some pink, and it would probably look pretty good. It look a little bit like Palermo. I, I'm on board with this. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine is the phone number. Taking your phone calls on a Thursday again. It's a big day. Um, let's see. We've got we've got the schedule coming out. I don't know what you're expecting. Expect expecting. Excuse me. 
people get actually excited about the schedule, right? I, I, this is this is trip planning, I guess, is what it is more than anything else. The the schedule release is which games I'm going to, which way trips I can make, when you know which teams are coming to my town that I can that I want to go see because they have a a big name or something like that, right? Something like that, I guess. Let's uh, let's check in with uh, Bill up in New York. What's up, Bill? Jason, how are you? I was going to call on Monday, but on Monday you put too much pressure on your callers. You were voted number one in 2015, and then the first call is going to set the tone for 2016. <laughs> Come on, man. It's, 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 it's all fun. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. We're not doing international diplomacy here, Bill. I don't know how Robert sleeps at night with that pressure on him now. This show fails. It's all his fault. You know what? Robert is, and I, and I, uh, I would put Robert in the category of just doesn't know any better. Like, he doesn't feel the pressure because for him it's just talking soccer. That's the way you should look at it, Bill. You're, you're too old. <laughs> you're too old, and your wisdom has created pressure that you don't need to feel. That's it, definitely. I wanted to talk about Jermaine Jones. Is anybody getting worried about his future right now? I... I don't think he's going to play in the Copa America this year. Because, am I right? He can't play with the national team until he serves his six-game suspension. Is that correct? That's correct. I, I don't see who picks him up right now. I don't see anybody in Europe saying, all right, we'll take you. You're going to miss six games. So the York teams are out. And then the MLS teams, they're not going to pay him what he wants. And yeah. even if they do, I, I think in the back of their head, they're saying the same thing. We're going to have him miss six games go to the Copa America, and then come back probably injured, what are we getting out of this guy? I- I'm really worried about his future. I, yeah, I think you know, he may be you, in a bad position right now. You bring up a lot of factors into whether or not his signing is going to go relatively smoothly. I don't know where he's going to sign. He's in the team. He's in the January camp. That's clearly a, a – not only is that perhaps Klinsman, you know, continuing to rely on, on a veteran player, I guess, especially for camp training uh, for the tone in camp, but also because – he probably thinks I need to get I need to get Jermaine Jones in front of some people, some eyeballs to get or 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 just put him get him fit so that he can go out um, perhaps trials. I don't know. I mean, at this point in his career, is is, is Jermaine Jones going out on trial? I guess. And, and, and you know, Clinton's doing it because he wants him to go to Europe somewhere. I, I can't see a European picking him up right now. How do you pick him up for the second half of the season, knowing he's going to miss six games? Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I think we're. We may miss it for the Copa America this year. It's possible. I'm not sure I would shed a tear for that. And, and w- before I let you go, because I got I got Eddie and, and Brooklyn lined up, Bill. But let me ask you about this roster beyond Jermaine Jones. I mean, again, this is not indicative of anything. It's a camp cupcake roster. We we know it doesn't really inform the rest of the year. But there usually are one or two guys who pop up who maybe start to get some playing time down the road. Do you see anybody here? I mean, is it is it just obviously a guy like Miazga who's already? Uh, a fixture with an MLS team with international ambition? I mean, we're always hoping for that guy. We're always hoping for the young guy. We're hoping for Morris and the Oscar. I, I just don't know. You know, I, I can't tell. You know, I, I have no clue what Clinton thinks with this. You know, how he, he hates MLS players, and then he goes with all MLS players, and he wants only Europe players. I, I, I can't figure him out. And I don't, I'd love to see the Oscar. I'd love to see Morris. I'd love to see all these young guys like everybody else. But like a guy like Jermaine Jones, to me, with all that experience, and I don't think he's much further than the Copa America this year, but I think he's a big part for the Copa America this year to have his experience in that tournament. Okay. And a great tournament that's going to be in the United States. We want to do well, and I think somebody like him 
would be a real benefit this year. After this year, I think he's done also. Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, Bill. You, you might be right. You're laying out a pretty doomsday scenario for Jermaine Jones, and I, and I can't really argue with any of those points. That, that's a, that suspension is, is such, uh, you know, such a negative for signing him and may, and the, the salary and everything else. You got anything else, Bill? Yeah, I think that suspension is going to come back to haunt him. Can I tell you one thing about Drogba real quick? If Drogba retires, he gets to go and coach at Chelsea. No fee, nothing for MLS. Is that correct? Uh, wait, what now? Say, say that again. If he retires, that... I heard, I heard something. If Drogba retires, that that's it. He's completely off with Montreal. He hasn't worried about his contract for next year. Yeah, that's... Montreal yeah. won't get any fees yeah. for that. Yeah. And the, he can go and the go whole, to Chelsea. The whole negotiation element of it is simply because I think Drogba doesn't want to officially retire and eliminate the possibility he could suit up for Chelsea. I think he wants to keep that that door open, maybe be a player coach, and if he's a player coach, then he has a contract with Montreal, and Montreal is due compensation. So that's, yeah, that's what that is. Because I kind of think Drogba should give something back to Montreal. He had a great year. They loved him up there. They went nuts for him up there. Chelsea has more money than they know what to do with. And MLS is so tight with money and has such a hard time. At least if you're going to leave, have them pay them something. Oh yeah, no, sure. That, I, I think that's what's. I think that's what's, what's happening right now. We've already heard rumors that MLS is playing hardball with Chelsea, and, and and that's that's been out there. I think the Telegraph had that. I was fascinated to see the Telegraph use the phrase hardball because that's a baseball thing to me. But whatever. Uh, I I I I think that they are pushing for some sort of significant compensation, and I imagine Chelsea's position isn't we don't have the money. It's that they don't want. I mean, business wise, it's not a good idea to say, "Oh yeah, okay, fine." You know, thirty-seven-year-old guy, one year left on his contract, we'll give you five million bucks. I mean, that that's that that is out of the market beyond what they would, t- you know, what you would get for a player like that. And I think they want to be careful about setting bad precedents. I would just like to see Drogba force just a little bit. You know, I know he loves Chelsea, and that's where he wants to end up. But tell them, listen, I'll come back, but give them something. Don't have me retire so you guys get a frio and I come over here and coach for you. Mm-hmm. Give him something, and then I do have the option. Yeah. And I kind of worry that he's not looking out for Montreal a little bit. I think uh, he should. He should give uh, them a little bit of credit for what happened. Maybe, right maybe. Appreciate Thanks, the call, Bill. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bill up in New York. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Real Madrid with, uh, with Mr. Eddie in Brooklyn. What's up, Eddie? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, before I get to Madrid, uh, for Jermaine Jones, if I'm him, I go to, I go to a place like Tijuana or the Liga MX. If they want him, I mean, if they want him, that I mean, because that the six game suspension that's only about the U.S. Soccer Federation. Right? I believe that's right. Yeah, he's not. He if he so signs yeah, so in, not, if he signs in Europe or in Mexico, that that doesn't apply. I, I, there is there yeah, have exactly. there have been cases though, Eddie, that I think I, I don't know how this works. Maybe it's only within confederations, so maybe Mexico. But there, there, I I know there have been cases where a player has been uh, suspended in one league transferred and then that the next league like honored that that suspension as dictated by the other league i don't know i I mean i don't know how that works i don't know if it's officially on any books or if it's just sort of a handshake uh acknowledgement that we honor the suspensions uh handed down by other leagues or not i I don't know i mean even if it is it's not like league mx is the most honorable league on the face of the earth anyway so (laughs) well we just got done talking about you can throw the ethics out the window on that one but also you got a guy like Miguel Herrera who's in charge. He'd be close to L.A., 
And I'm pretty sure that they're looking for a Jermaine Jones type after they lost Gwemis to America in the Apertura campaign. So he kind of might fill a need. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just a thought. Well, they just signed Janino. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes with, for, for Janino as well. I mean, not that Janino is the same sort of player as Jermaine Jones. Um, I actually trust Janino more. He's 26 versus Jermaine Jones, 31 or 2 or whatever he is. Uh, what else you got, Eddie? Uh, the Madrid thing, I missed a shout-out on the on the show the other day. Um, so I figured I just wanted to call in for my two cents. Right, I no. hate the move. Yeah, I hate it. Um, I'm, I've always thought, it's, it's funny, I was when I was watching the game with my father that day, we were talking about as if Benitez was going to get sacked. And we didn't want Zidane to take over because uh, I come from the philosophy, a guy like Zidane should be able to have a preseason to implement his philosophy, you know, somewhere to train with his guys and not be thrown in amid turmoil, players being upset, uh, you know, but kind of like a shattered locker room. He should kind of have a fresh start instead of trying to pick up the pieces from a guy like Benitez, yeah. when, considering this is kind of like his managerial debut. So I kind of feel like I'm Florentino Suarez put him in a tough spot. They should have probably gotten a caretaker like Chelsea did. Uh, you know, people always ask, like, what, what name is out there? You're not going to get a big name. Uh, Bielsa's, I don't know what Bielsa's been doing ever since he left Marseille, but you know, a guy like local Bielsa would be a perfect caretaker yeah, but, for about six months. But you, but you, and then you bring it down. Well, okay, if Bielsa would agree to do that for six months, and you thought you could control Bielsa, sure. But you're talking about adding crazy, crazy to a pot of crazy, especially with with Florentino Perez, and, and I imagine. At this point, I mean, we, we all, again, we all sort of knew, Eddie, that when Benitez took the job, it was a weird fit to begin with. And to see it play out the way it did surprise nobody. And, and there was even a suggestion, you know, uh, because they, they probably could have fired him a week before, two weeks before they actually did. There was a suggestion that Perez was going to keep him up, keep uh, 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 Benitez in the job as a, as a shield against criticism from Perez. And so if you throw... Uh, you know, you throw Bielsa into that mix. I just, I just, I think that perhaps Perez probably doesn't want a guy. I don't know. I mean, obviously Mourinho's been talked about, but that's a different sort of figure. So it's tough. I mean, with, with either of the men, Perez completely, he let a shield down. He's, he's completely on the hook for this one because oh, yeah, he yeah. down sales now. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going no, yeah. to look at Florentino like, okay, well, it's not managers. It's, it's well, for me, I'll tell you right now, Florentino Perez is the greatest president in the history of Barcelona. The greatest president, because ever since he's really taken over and taken the reins, they have been killing us. Yeah, with no, titles, I know, I know. And he keeps making mistake after I mistake. Know, I know. Well, let me let me ask you: Do you think? Uh, look, uh, we all love Zidane, right? I mean, it, it, and he's done. He's not the. He wasn't the cleanest player. We know that. Obviously, people making jokes about the headbutt in two thousand six, but that that's not his legacy. His legacy is as a great player as one of the most powerful dynamic midfielders we've ever seen people love Zidane you think that this is Perez just going gaga for the for, for, for Zidane and and his charisma because again as you said he's not built for this particular task at this particular club the most pressurized managerial job in the world I think it's Florentino really just trying to cover his ass kind of like look I gave the fans what they wanted this is the kind of guy that they wanted in charge, but it really all is doing is highlighting the fact how big of a mistake he committed by firing Carlo Ancelotti to begin with. And that's all it really does. So it's anybody who, who's not blinded by the name and can see clearly what Florentino's doing, it's just, it, it, it really highlights how much he doesn't have control. He doesn't have control of the club at all. He has no idea what he's doing with player movement anymore. He gave Carlo Ancelotti an unbalanced midfield, told him to figure it out with four number 10s in the midfield and try to get some kind of a, you know, uh, some kind of defensive cover for the center backs, 
And then when Carlos Ancelotti sales, it's like, well, you know, I gave you the pieces. The guy has no idea what he's doing anymore. It's it's really it doesn't matter. It, it comes to the, it doesn't matter who you put in charge anymore. He's the one that has to go. You know, you look at you look at the situation, Eddie, and my my fear again because we all love Zidane, and and I would. I mean, a world where, where Zinedine Zidane is a top-level manager is a better soccer world for all of us, I think. I don't care where he's at, whether it's in France or, or at Real Madrid or whatever. And, and the, the, you look at the odds. The odds of Zinedine Zidane failing are so much so much better than the odds of Zinedine Zidane hitting the ground running and being an absolute you know, uh, blockbuster out of the gate. It, it, and it's going to set the tone. It doesn't mean his career is going to be over if he leave, when he leaves. When he leaves, because you know he's going to leave. I'm just saying it's going to set the tone for a while. And I, I just don't. I don't want to watch that man have to deal with again Perez behind the scenes, Real Madrid and the and the pressure, Ronaldo and the ego. I mean, because and I said this yesterday, Eddie. Uh, this job isn't at this point for Zidane. This isn't a tactics job, not really. I mean, there may be some no, issues. It's, management. it's man. Management. It's all man management. It's all ego management, and that he he's going to walk into that locker room and he's going to command a respect. But can he individually figure out how to put these pieces together and make? And again, what's what is success at this point? Third place in La Liga, round of sixteen. You're absolutely got to get to the quarterfinals. But what is success? He's got to win the Champions League. Unfortunately, that's what's bad. That's, that's impossible. I mean, maybe because of Zidane now, maybe if he just makes a semifinal and finishes in the top two, he'll be okay. But even if even if he quote unquote fails, I don't think it's necessarily going to be to his detriment. Because, no, of course. But uh, I'm just you saying. liken it back. You liken it back to to one shot in Costa Rica when he took over because I had the same concerns because you know this is the guy that we idolized. I mean, at least I idolized growing up, the greatest player we ever produced, and now he's in charge of the national team. And then you see the way he went out. You know, losing, I think it was you know, not winning a match in like nine nine consecutives. And then that fight he had with the security guard and the U23s kind of was an ugly way for him to go out. But then you fast forward a couple of months, he's taking over Saprissa and he's, he built a champion in, you know, a, a couple of weeks' time. And then now he's, he's trying to build a really strong team for CCL, which I think Liga MX and, and MLS teams should worry about if they get Saprissa in the group. So, you know, they, they brought in Pinedo, they, they, they're talking about bringing in Blas Perez. You know, it, he's he's trying to build a really strong contender as a priest. So uh, even if he fails, if Zidane fails in Madrid, he, he can still always go to France, get a job in France. Sure, sure, it's not but it's going to be his end. It's not the way that he like. like and maybe I'm being true to true, too traditional about this, but I would have rather seen. And this is on Zidane too for for accepting this. I, I do think that the you know the siren call of Real Madrid is impossible to deny, but. He could have gone to France. He could have picked uh, a, a small club and worked his way up and learned the craft and done all of those things. I mean, he could have been, I mean, I don't know that you want to put him on Gary Neville necessarily, but he could have been more like Gary Neville. That's not, that's a, that's a big job out of the gates for Gary Neville, but it's not the biggest job in the world. Yeah, but you can't turn down much, right? I know, that's, that's a problem. That's the job. That's, that's the, the problem. Job. And Perez knows that. And that's, that, God, that, that just make just makes me, I mean, I just worry. I just worry. That's all. I mean, when you think about it, they only lost three games this year. <laughs> like, it's, they're crazy. They only lost three games. I know. Right? Like, I know. Chelsea was in shambles. Louis Van Hall still has a job. Rafa Benitez lost three games. Yeah. How am I still employed? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things, though, where obviously, and you know this, it's, at Madrid, it's not just about how many games you win, how many games you lose, it's how you play. And and, and he did have, uh, I've looked at the stats, uh, I'm sure you've seen these too, 
he did have the lowest win percentage of anybody in the last five managers at Madrid. That doesn't go back very far, but that's that is that is the truth. So it, it, there is. I mean, least... he only has seven. He only has seven months though. Some of those guys have like a full this, season this and is, a half. This is true. Seasons. So a loss is going to count more. This is true. Percentages. Yeah, yeah. In terms of yeah, it's going to hit his hit his numbers harder. You're right. It, it absolutely is. All right. Um, I got Aaron who wants to tip in on this in a second here. Eddie, you got anything else? No, man. I'm good. All right, Eddie in Brooklyn. Good stuff. Always. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, yeah, completely, uh, completely great to talk to Eddie every single time out. Let's talk to Aaron up in Jersey. What's going on? Hey, um, I actually think this is great for Zidane and for Real Madrid, and it has more to do with the psychology of the club and less to do with the results. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, I think this is almost like legacy. It, 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 and, the, and the best analogy I would have would be, um, you know, so take the Yankees and, you know, which I think are the only other kind of organization in the, in the planet when it comes to sports that has the same kind of, you know, cachet and, yeah. and equity that, uh, you know, Real Madrid has. And, you know, take, you know, five years from now or six years from now, Derek Jeter. Which would he really be ready to put, to be a manager or this or that? Probably not. No. But he he brings a certain you know combination that's bigger than sports. You know, in the tactical sense or the technical sense of sports, but is a certain almost cachet. And and whether he works out yeah. in pure result sense is less to do with he brings back a certain flavor that is Real Madrid. And that goes all the way back to the yeah, Stefano. Okay, but give me uh, really uh, the whole lineage, uh, uh, Aaron. Uh, you 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 did identify that that Real Madrid and the New York Yankees are in a class by themselves in in terms of their their the profile and the pressure and the the fan base and everything else. <laughs> but give me an example where this where this sort of dynamic. The, uh, okay, I, I, to put Zidane on Real Madrid club legend is a little disingenuous. That that's not really where he made his career, but he certainly finished up there, and he was certainly. Uh, part of the Galactico, so it, it is. There is that, but give me an example where this worked. We're taking a player from the team and the and the team's heyday and some of their best teams, a superstar, one of the world, one of the greatest players ever, and putting him on the sideline or in the in the managerial box worked. Well, I I, I can take a bunch of examples, both in sports and in life. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, in, in life, people like like Jim Baker. You know, when the world goes sideways and you want to get something done, you call a Jim Baker from his golf club or whatever, and just magic happens. And and, and it's not magic; it never is. What? It's, it's okay. the ability right. to walk into a room and people listen. And, and, and that is the first step. And, 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 and I think Eddie nailed it earlier when it comes to, the, you know, this is about managing people. And there's such a scale of personalities. I mean, you're managing the Brazilian national team in the 60s, kind of, you know, uh, in, in terms of the, like, the scale of the personalities involved at, at, at Real Madrid. And, it, and I would take someone like Larry Bird, who, you know, people, he was kind of an ornery guy. No one really gave him much of a shot, especially after kind of magic bombed out. Um, and I think he did really a hell of a job and, and really in some cases still does. And, and, and I'm not saying the Don is the same kind of, of uh, meticulous person, but, but, but we don't really know. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like what we know about him 
are his actions as a as a young man in his twenties and thirties, and 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 we don't really know him as this kind of guy in his forties who goes to work every day and picks up the kids or okay. you know whatever go goes grocery shopping. And, yeah. and I think he might really be more of a Larry Bird type person. Um, so so you know that's kind of an example that I that I have, and and I would say this is good for him because. Well, I think it's a great idea to work your way up over you know, 15 years and 10 clubs and kind of chug your way across average mid-tier, you know, teams and in, in second or third quality, you know, uh, leagues in Europe. Um, I think there's a risk in doing that in that your portfolio becomes what you did and no one listens to what you were limited in doing. Whereas okay. Zidane's going to be able to have some impact, I think, psychologically with some players. And I would say a player he's going to have a huge impact in that I don't think people would, would really recognize won't be a guy like Benzema who, you know, who knows what, what kind of Benzema you're ever going to get back. So I think it will be James. Mm, I think okay. a guy like James, who's been in some ways under the shadow of these, you know, titans, and I think in some cases kind of, you know, not knowing what to do next, a guy like Zidane can say, hey, you know, come over here and let's talk a little bit. And, you know, and, and I, I think he could shape a guy like his career. He's not going to change Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo and him, I'll be honest with you, the most interesting thing ever would be a one-on-one dinner to see the two of these guys hang out and talk like as adults. Because they each have, you know, oh, man. a weird take. Yeah, you know? that's, I, I, I don't think, I mean, this is completely unfair of me, and, and maybe he is a... Supremely engaging person with a, a wonderful personality and a, a sharp wit, but I just get the sense that that talking to to Cristiano Ronaldo, even in Portuguese, even in his native tongue, is probably like talking to a brick wall. Like I just I don't I don't get the sense that there's a whole lot there. But that's just me. That's, that's maybe that's unfair. <laughs> and, and and you're probably right. But I'll tell you one thing: there's certain you know I mean a guy like Ronaldo or Messi or I would say every player today has an ego. But, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, at, at, a, at, a, at a galactic level, no pun intended, but a guy like Zidane, who, you know, was a couple of, you know, events away from a second World Cup and kind of going into that other final group of greatest players ever, really. And I, I think he's really close there anyway, um, you know, is that. You know, he has the champions and he has the World Cups. And, and not just that, he has the, you know, put the game on my back, Magic Johnson kind of like, yeah, like I'm taking earth against you yeah. and, I, and I win. Yeah. And, and, and I don't care what anyone wants to say about Ronaldo or Messi or, you know, the greatest players the last 10, 15 years. There really hasn't been that, you know, and I'm not saying comparing Zidane to, to Magic Johnson because it's not quite the same, but it's, it's close. It's because of the personalities they brought to the table and how they marshaled, yeah. you know, everybody around them. And I, I you know, it, it, it Jordan obviously has that. And I you know I'm using a ton of American sports analogies, um, but I just think a guy like Zidane has a really good shot at, at, you know, maybe not keeping this job because I don't think anyone can keep this job. I think it's an unkeepable job. But at, at at actually leaving with a lot more respect than he came in with, okay, where and, people are going to say, "Oh, wow!" This and, guy, and at the very least, you know, this guy is special. At the very least, uh, in terms of of this, the dramatics of sports and the stories that it provides, 
this is interesting. And he sort of, you know, it just occurs to me that he's sort of the anti, he's the anti-Mourinho, right? I mean, Mourinho, uh, a totally. guy who didn't have um, any real playing career to speak of, went into management at a young age because that was what was available to him, went to coaching, um, worked his way through a couple of, well, he actually managed uh, Benfica briefly in, in, in 2000 before kind of going and, and earning some stripes and then going to Porto and doing everything he did at Porto, building up to the point where he was Real Madrid's choice because of what he had done as a coach. Zidane gets that opportunity because of who he is as a figure. It doesn't mean he can't be successful. It just means it's a different sort of path. I, I, exactly. at least, at and and I, I have one quick little prediction, and, and I actually think Zidane and Mourinho, uh, in terms of what's going on right now, is a, is, a, is a seismic moment of psychology, kind of like a Kardashian moment, in, but in soccer. I think we are at the end of the Mourinho mentality era, and we are in this newer, and I would say Zidane is a great example of that, professional era, you know, got class. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no drama, Obama kind of, you know, personality. And I think is where Zidane ends up and in the end, and I think this is a huge opportunity, is PSG. I think he does well here and then well enough and define well enough is, you know, he doesn't, it doesn't go chaos. And I think the PSG job becomes a home run for him. And then that's a whole different story because you're talking about, you know, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Magic Johnson, if he could coach, coaching Michigan State, you know, type of of, of thing, and 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 I just really think um, Zidane, and I, I just believe in the guy based on his personality. I read a great biography on him a few years back, which I recommend, and it's it just it, it's a, he's a very different guy, mm-hmm. you know, he's just than than, than the regular kind of foot, footballers with you know only ego and fast cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll see what happens. It should be fascinating. Aaron in New Jersey, great call as always, man. I appreciate it. We're going to roll great. here. Thank you. There goes uh, Aaron. Thanks good so stuff much. from uh, from him as always. Man, what a good show. Uh, uh, Amanda Duffy, president of Louisville City FC. That interview was fantastic. If you missed that, you have to go back and listen to it. Podcast later, uh, out later this afternoon. Speaking of this afternoon, MLS schedule 2016 will be landing at some point this afternoon, probably after I'm off the air for Sirius XM, because that's just the way things happen. We do have the um, uh, the U.S. men's national team roster for the January camp to talk about. We'll be working through that over at Sirius XM FC as well. Please follow us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Davis JSN is my handle. Hey Hayward for uh, for the freeze. Are you cold still, or is it, is they fix it? You're not cold anymore, right? Like You actually have some maybe some space heaters? Okay. We'll, uh, we'll see how uh, Trevor's doing with his heat. But thank you very much for listening uh, on a Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow with the final show of the week. Man, it's gone quickly, and we're getting into the new year rapidly. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.